So we're now uh, three uh, Sundays into Lent, and as I have mentioned the last few weeks, Lent is a time of renewal and, and even new beginnings, a time for fresh starts, a time to let go of things that diminish our lives, a, a time to get back in touch with, with hope. And this morning I continue with my sermon series, Rolling Stones, Releasing What Weighs Us Down. And each sermon is self-contained, so don't worry if you've missed some or missed all of them thus far. And if you'd like, they're on our chapel website if you want to go back. Life is so incredibly wonderful, isn't it? Joyful, amazing, full of moment-to-moment blessings that are just astonishing. But as we all know, there is a lot more to life than just the good. Most of us at least at various points in life, carry around stuff that can weigh us down. And sometimes we hold on to experiences or events that are burdensome or even life depleting. And as I've shared the last two weeks, a good image for this is carrying around a bag of rocks, a bag full of rocks that not only are heavy but jagged and and rough-edged. And I believe that most of us as human beings can become stone collectors Stones that we carry that can be very hard to release to become heavier and heavier with each passing day. That such stones have names like temptation, which I spoke about two weeks ago, or anger, which I spoke about last week, or hurt and spite, judgmentalness, feeling inadequate or lack of forgiveness, to name just a few. And many of us carry such things around that impact how how we live, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to other people, how we relate to even God. This morning, each of you received a rock and hold on to that rock as we will do something with it in a little bit. And while holding on to that rock, today I'd like to get into something else that some of us carry around or have carried around at some point in our lives. And that's something that many of us carry around is a sense of shame. Shame is so painful, isn't it? As one person says, it's incredibly corrosive. I view shame as an experience it myself kind of like drinking gasoline. And as I've thought about this topic, I know that I, too, carry around shame like many of you do. It doesn't feel good. It hurts. It makes me feel badly about myself if I'm not careful with it. And most mental health professionals believe that a majority of people have had or have varying degrees of shame within In other words, it's a pretty universal experience, and in fact, it occurs, shame does, across cultures throughout the world. Shame has everything to do with feeling unworthy in some way, feeling inadequate, sensing some kind of flaw, and even wondering sometimes, I wonder what people would really think of me if they knew me down deep. And shame can make it hard to connect with other people in a way that's real and authentic and meaningful. In excerpts and with some adaptations that I've added, here is some of what the writer Brene Brown has to say about this topic. She says that shame is that intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed in some way and therefore perhaps unworthy of acceptance and belonging. Shame is that inner voice that says, I I am bad. I'm a mistake, I'm not really good enough. 
Shame is that voice that can come into our heads that is very nagging that says, who do you think you are? I know your past. I know it's behind closed doors. I know the truth. Shame is never a good feeling. And it can make us feel like we don't belong or don't deserve love. And Brene Brown goes on to say that we all have at least some shame and more often than not we are afraid to be honest about it or talk about shame. How often do you have people around you sharing their innermost self and their sense of shame in an honest way with you? How often does that happen? And sometimes when we feel shame, we can create this armor around us that can make it hard for people to know who we really are down deep. Shame can also lead us to believe that we are an imposter. One person writes, when we feel shame, we can feel like an imposter in which we doubt our accomplishments and have fear that we'll be discovered for who we really are, maybe even a fraud. And when we feel this kind of shame, this imposter shame, we often don't feel we deserve all we have achieved or think it's all due to sheer luck. Now, there's some great examples of people dealing with shame all over Scripture, and I just chose two examples today. Our first reading today is from the second book of the prophet Samuel, and in it, in it we hear the story of a fellow named Mephibosheth. What a great name. I thought about that. Just the name itself. Have you ever met a Mephibosheth? <laughs> Probably not, because if you look at the Hebrew and the name Meshibapheth, the name literally means coming from the mouth of shame. That's a little trivia fact you can take with you today. <laughs> have lunch today. Did you know Mephibosheth means from the mouth of shame? <laughs> anyway, some backstory. You may remember that Saul was the king of, first king of Israel, and we know that he made some decisions that were not so great. He got crosswise with God, and so God decided to remove his favor from King Saul, and God then decided that he wanted a man named David to be the second king of Israel. It was during this time, interestingly enough, that David went to work for Saul. But David was such an amazing fellow that Saul became quite jealous. So jealous, in fact, that Saul went after David and tried to kill him on many occasions. And as a result, David went into hiding. As a side note, if you read some of the Psalms, the Psalms that David wrote are about this time of hiding from Saul. Well, anyway, at the time, Saul had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan and David were great pals, so much so that Jonathan, Jonathan vowed to keep David safe from his dad, Saul. In response, the two made a commitment to each other that they and their families would be bound together forever. Well, eventually Saul, and tragically his son Jonathan, die in a battle. And David then officially becomes king, united, uniting the country. And sometime later, when things had settled down, King David says, Is there anyone left in Saul's family? If so, I want to show kindness to them. Clearly, this was a way for David to honor his friend Jonathan in the commitment that they had made to each other. What just so happens that Jonathan's son, 
who was very disabled, was still living. And David asked that Jonathan's son be brought to him. And when Jonathan's son came before David, he said, Who am I that you would pay attention to me? A stray dog. And Jonathan's son's name was Mephibosheth, out of the mouth of shame. Mephibosheth felt tremendous shame, probably shame over how his grandfather Saul treated David. Shame over his physical disability that would not have been understood in those days. Shame over his destitute state in life. He clearly felt deep shame, as his name implies. Despite this, David reaches out to Mephibosheth with kindness and compassion and empathy and so much more. And it's a striking story of not only shame, but of how one person's compassion and empathy helped heal a person from deep, profound shame. Our second reading today is from Luke, and in the story we hear of a woman who had suffered from a bleeding disorder of some kind for 12 years. The woman has a lot going against her because of the social norms of the time. We know that women had few, if any, rights in that male-dominated society. She had a bleeding disorder, which by definition made her a complete outcast to be avoided, again, because of the norms of the time. And she was also poor because she spent everything on her doctors, a third strike against her. And it's highly likely that people avoided this woman, disdained her, and totally rejected her. And while the story does not explicitly say so, my bet, my assumption is that she felt incredible shame, despite the fact that none of it was her fault. In fact, her shame, I believe, was at the root and the source and the cause of why she was unwilling to face Jesus, let alone ask him for anything. This is why I believe she made the decision to get close to Jesus by coming up to Jesus from behind and simply touching his clothes. I think it was shame that drove her not to put herself in front of him. When she touches Jesus, he feels power leave his body, and when it becomes clear who touched him, Jesus says, you took a risk trusting me, and now you are healed and whole. Healed from the bleeding disorder and made whole from her shame. Another powerful example of how compassion and empathy Relieve shame, and a great example of how Christ can heal our shame. Now, both these readings illustrate some of the sources of shame. Some people experience shame because of family history, like Mephibosheth. Shame, in other words, can be generational. Other people feel shame because of how society views them, with certain characteristics or ways of living, like the woman in Luke's story. Clearly living outside of social norms can cause a person to feel shame. Shame, however, comes from all kinds of other things, from addictions, from not living up to our expectations, from not living up to our own expectations or the expectations of others, for not reaching some kind of goal. Shame can come from divorce or adultery or believing that other parents are much better parents than we are. Shame can come from being shamed by other people. As we know, being bullied is a big-time endeavor these days, especially on social media. 
All of that induces shame. Shame happens when people slam our reputation or gossip about us. Shame can happen when we're not invited to join a certain group or asked to join a club. Shame comes from trauma as an adult or as a child. It can come from being in an abusive relationship, being an immigrant in a hostile territory, or from long-standing guilt that morphs into shame. And what bums me out, perhaps more than anything, is that often shame comes from churches. I've met so many Christians that feel shame, like they're not good enough, or that there's something wrong with their life, or their lifestyle, or their views, or who they are down deep, because of the messaging that they've received in places of worship. I find the fact that our Christian faith has caused some people to experience deep shame is astonishingly heartbreaking. Our faith is meant to relieve, not to burden. And so if you are burdened with your faith, there's something deep within that needs to come out so you can receive healing. A quick caveat, shame and guilt are not the same thing. We feel guilty when we say to ourselves, I've done something bad. Shame is all about, I am bad big difference between saying I've done something bad and I am bad. Now Brene Brown again points out that guilt actually can be adaptive. It can be a positive thing because when we feel regret, we feel uncomfortable, it can actually move us to, to change something. It can move us back into a reconciled relationship with somebody if we accept accountability and say I'm sorry and deal with it constructively. So guilt can be healthy if it's acted upon in a constructive way. Not the same thing with shame. Now, while we've looked at what shame is about, some of its sources, it's important to touch on sh how shame can impact us. Three key things, three key ways that shame can impact us that I want to touch on very briefly. Shame can make us a bully. Shame can make us mean. Shame can make us aggressive. And when we feel shame, and we attack others, often it's because of shame that is deep within and it helps us escape our own feelings of shame. We become aggressive because it moves shame away from ourselves and displaces it onto somebody else. This can lead to rage. And when a person spends their days denigrating other people who are different. Shame is where narcissism comes from. And when a person is narcissistic, more often than not, there is a deep, deep shame within the person that the person is not in touch with. And when a person is experiencing deep shame and is narcissistic, that person generally has an inflated sense of self. I'm the best. A sense of entitlement. And as I mentioned, the person can instigate bullying others through a whole bunch of ways. So attacking other people is often evidence that we are dealing with shame. Of course, shame can also lead us to attack ourselves, to put ourselves down, to castigate ourselves, to be our own worst enemy, to sabotage our own efforts so we can become aggressive. But aside from that, Brene Brown points out that shame can cause us to hide from other people. 
by keeping silent, by keeping our deep secrets, by not sharing with others who we really are down deep, by hiding and retreating and being inauthentic in relationships. But aside from aggression and hiding, a third way that shame can affect us is we spend our days trying and doing everything we can to make people around us happy. We become people pleasers. We feel so terrible about ourselves down deep that we spend all of our effort and all of our time trying to make people pleased with us. And boy, can that be exhausting. All of this can lead us to feeling depressed and sad and lonely and isolated and empty and using substances to cover up our shame. Well, shame is widespread. It's hard. It's tough. The good news is, however, there's a lot we can do about it. We can certainly be liberated from it. We can be free from it. And this is a whole subject that I could get into. Um, but aside from really great therapy, just some other thoughts about working through shame. First and foremost, one of the greatest antidotes to shame is one of the hardest things to do. And that is to become willing to share our stories, share our histories, share our shame with people we trust. To be able to go to somebody that we trust and say, I have deep shame within me and this is where it's coming from. Being open and being vulnerable with trustworthy others ameliorates shame. It gets it out into the light. Vulnerability, being open with other people and shame are polar opposites. Shame drives us into a cave. Vulnerability and sharing our stories drives us out of that cave. Shame causes us to hide who we are. Now one prayer I have for the chapel and have had for the last 10 years is that we will be a safe place to be vulnerable where we can share our stories, where we can share our burdens, where we can share our shame, where there will be no judgmentalness, where everyone is affirmed and included and embraced regardless. The writer Derek Flood in adaptive form says with some additions from me, people in communities of faith need to feel safe and accepted and loved unconditionally. When this happens, people can open up and discover the healing love of other people and of God. So many churches spend so much energy telling people how rotten they are and that what you all really deserve is the wrath of God. Such messaging closes people up and, in fact, drives shame deeper and deeper and deeper into the closet and keeps people from approaching God. Faith communities need to be places where stories are told and lovingly heard. Faith communities need to be where mental health challenges are talked about openly and accepted. And places that connect us to good help when needed. So being part of a faith community that's loving is part of healing shame. I would also say that a key antidote to shame is empathy, and this is where Brene Brown has a lot to say. When we put ourselves in the shoes of another person, when we learn to put ourselves in our own shoes and have some empathy toward ourselves, some compassion toward ourselves, shame is ameliorated. As I said earlier, shame needs secrecy, it needs silence, it needs judgment. But when we open up and give somebody else a chance to be empathic with us, 
shame can disappear. And when we take the time to be empathic with somebody else about their shame, it can help us with our own shame. And when we can learn to talk to ourselves empathetically, as if we're talking to someone that we really love and like, shame diminishes. And then listen, too, to what we find in Scripture. Paul wrote, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. In other words, if Christ doesn't condemn us, shame us, why on earth would we ever condemn ourselves or shame ourselves or others? Paul also wrote, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Said another way, the loving presence of God is within us. God doesn't shame us. That presence is within we are his wonderful, amazing, adored creation. So shame is the opposite of that. So there's a lot to say about dealing with shame other than telling your stories of shame, bringing it out into the light, not concealing it, being honest about it, getting help with it, being empathic, studying scripture, taking Jesus' words seriously. But there's one other thing we can do. So, what I'd like you all to do, if you have it, is to take out the rock that hopefully you have. If you don't have a rock, Charlotte's going to bring you one. And I've said the last two weeks the intent is not to throw them at me or to stone me. <laughs> Although that would be biblical. Stoning was very popular in the Bible. <laughs> Still popular today in Aspen. <laughs> so I'd like you to take that rock and to put it in your hand and to hold it and look at it and see that dirty, rough, not smooth-edged rock is representing your shame. See your shame in that rock and all that it represents. And just imagine carrying that rock around, that, that shame around, and, and if you just kept it in your hand, you grabbed onto it tight and closed your hand around, it would hurt, it would get wary would bring pain. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion as we've done, and when you do it, I'm going to ask you, invite you, if you'd like, to bring your rock with you and all the shame it represents. As we've done the last two weeks, we'll have a basket up front. And when you come forward to receive bread and wine, I invite you to drop the rock into the basket to drop your shame into the basket, to let go of the shame that that rock represents and ask God to deal with it for you. God, here is my shame. The shame I don't talk about, the shame I feel deeply within, the shame that weighs me down, the shame I'm ashamed of having. Ask Christ to help you, to work through you, to forgive you, to take it from you. And let that shame go. And we'll add that rock to the pile of rocks that is up here already from the last two weeks that represent temptations and things we've given into that represents our anger. And so I invite you to leave your shame at the foot of the altar. And as I said the last two weeks too, don't forget to be here on Easter.
to see what God does with all we have tried to let go of. And let us pray.